So, Birdo, I've been meaning to do a podcast about the documentary Wolf Pack because it just looked so interesting and I knew we could have a long conversation about it, but I kept putting it off, kept putting it off, and then someone emailed in and had a really interesting story to tell that they have a, a similar story to the story of oh, this really? documentary that we'll get into later. So I asked that you watch it, and I watched it, and let's do a podcast on the documentary called Wolfpack. What do you say? Let's woo! This it. is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirkonda. I'm a therapist, and I'm also a professor. My name is Humberto Casagna, and I bottle sewage water. The name actually does it uh, not a service because the name Wolfpack doesn't really encapsulate what the what the documentary is about, right? No. There's no. Some, in fact, why do they even call it that? Yeah, well, I mean, and especially like when you see the image, uh, it's them in their reservoir uh, dogs outfits, and it's called Wolfpack. I actually imagine it was some sort of indie movie like along the veins of reservoir dogs. <laughs> yeah, they, they don't reference wolf pack. There's no. no discussion of them calling themselves the wolf I mean, pack. They're kind of like a wolf pack, I guess. I yeah, know. but they should have been it should have been called something like uh, trapped family or yeah. something so if you haven't seen the documentary, uh it the documentary basic the trailer basically spoils the whole document. There's no there's yeah. no real twist. Family in the window. <laughs> right. So we're going to just summarize it all. If you haven't seen it, I, I don't think it's a spoiler. It's it's very interesting to watch. There's a lot of visuals yeah. to this, this documentary. 2015 documentary, which gives you an idea of how long I've been wanting to talk about this. Directed by Crystal Moselle. It is about the Agulo family. You could pronounce Angulo. Angulo family. And the family lives in Lower East Side, Manhattan, New York City. And they live in an apartment, and essentially the dad has them prisoners, or shall we say, highly suggested that they never leave the apartment, and they're homeschooled, and the kids have to fend for themselves and entertain themselves, and they find that it's fun to recreate a lot of movies and this kind of thing. And my sense was that the only movies they got to watch were the movies that they owned physically. Right. They didn't have cable. They had VHS and DVDs. And, and by the way, when the movie started, I had not heard of this. I had no idea, no context. So I actually thought the whole movie was going to be this kind of troop of like misfits recreating. And right. I was like really excited. I'm like, oh, this is cool. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I thought it was too. And I think that's how it started out. So yeah. let me let me go over the, the details of this if, if you haven't seen this documentary. So there's a uh, mother and father, six brothers, one sister. And their father had the only door key and prohibited the kids and the mother from leaving the apartment. They would leave every once in a while, maybe to go to the dentist, maybe the doctor. Mm -hmm. But even then, the father was present and making sure that no one looked at anyone or talked to anyone, and they would go right back to the apartment. The kids were homeschooled by the mom. They could see the world outside through their windows. Sometimes the dad would actually block out the windows and wouldn't even let them look outside. Did they have a massive vitamin D deficiency? I don't know. They learned about the world through watching films. They didn't have cable television, but they had a lot of movies because the dad was really into movies and really into music as well. And so the kids, particularly the boys, would do these extremely elaborate recreations where they would learn the lines, and they would learn how to say the lines really well. Yep. 
they would film these too. They had a video camera and they would use whatever kinds of things around the house to just make costumes that were just amazing. I mean, that, yeah. that Batman costume. It was crazy. Yeah, that would, that would have rivaled any <laughs> cosplay at a convention yeah. that you could have had. You know, it occurred to me um, when I was watching the first few scenes, I thought, oh my gosh, that's brilliant. Because you know, with music, what, what's one of the best ways to learn how to play music and write music? So you do some covers, you know, you learn someone else's songs because you kind of got this sense of, I was like, of course, if you wanted to learn how to make movies, try to like copy a movie. Right. That I've never, that's never occurred to me, but it seems like, I don't know how many people do that or at least scenes, you know, like, oh, I'm going to recreate this scene. Right. It's cool. Yeah. And everything changed for them one day when one of the middle children, 15 year old uh, Mukunda decided to walk around the neighborhood against their father's wishes. Right. He put on a Michael mask Just from... freaky! Yeah, from uh, Friday the 13th. From uh, Halloween. Halloween. Yeah. He isn't my... Uh, Michael Myers. And from Friday the 13th is... Is Jason Voorhees. So Jason and Michael, don't they both wear a mask? They do. Jason's is a hockey mask. But uh, but uh, Michael's is, is what? Is a... Uh, Fake person's mask. Fake person mask, yeah. Anyway, so, uh, and did you get the impression that that kid who ventured off was a middle kid? Because I thought he was the oldest. I did get the impression he was not, that he was a middle. But, but I mean, they were all kind of close in age. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I think he was the third to the oldest. Because the oldest comments on it, like, you know, I can't believe oh. he did it again or something. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought that way. I, it, it just seemed like he would have been the... It, it seems like the oldest would have so, been. Right? But you, then you think, actually, because I've been watching this doc, this um, documentary. I guess it is kind of a documentary, a reality show called Welcome to Plathville. And it's kind of okay. similar to this in that there's like, I don't know how many kids, like 10 kids or something. Okay. And f- massive fundamentalists. Like the fundamentalist Christians call them... Fundamentalists. Fundamentalists. <laughs> And they live on this farm. Is it like Westboro Baptist Church? That thing? Um, not quite that bad. <laughs> I mean, they're not. I don't. They don't rail against okay. gay people, but yeah. it is insular in that way. I see. And they dress like they're, you know, uh, conservative. Okay. And they they're homeschooled, and yeah. they don't have any cable TV. They don't have the internet, and things are very, uh, you know, insular. And the oldest kids are pretty conservative but it's the next born kids in the mm. in the lineup who start to rebel right. and so it seems similar in this family because that's actually one of the research findings is that oldest children tend to be more conservative and more in line with their parents sure. po- point of view and then the next kids will be more rebellious <laughs> Do, can you think of why that would be bro i mean if you're living in the same household when you're the first one all you're seeing, the only role models around you are those parents. So as you're modeling behavior, you're like, okay, that's how the world is. I behave this way. Then the next one that comes out, they're seeing their parents, but they're also seeing this carbon copy that's not like faithful. You know, it's a, it's kind of a, a muddled carbon copy. And so then they probably start like, uh, I guess I could be like them. But then there's this other thing that's my brother or sister and they don't do everything exactly. I don't think I have to do everything exactly the same. So that's one <laughs> speculation for sure. Uh, it's hard to know exactly what's happening. Another speculation is that the firstborn will want to be accepted. Every child wants to enter the family and be accepted. 
And so the firstborn, all they have to do to get accepted is to be like the parents. Right. The next kid can't be accepted by being like the parents because they won't get as as much love and attention because the the conservative love and attention is already already mopped up by the first kid. And so the next kid has to do something different in order to get love and attention. So the next kid has to establish, okay, what kind, how do I, what sort of love and attention am I going to get? Well, I might be able to get the mischievous or the fun mm-hmm. person or the person who thinks outside the box sometimes. Right. And that's, that's the speculation. So yeah, everything changed when that boy, the, one of the boys in the, one of the sons in the family actually decided to leave while the father was gone. He put this really creepy Michael mask on. Yeah. He says that he needed to wear that mask in order to not be recognized. Not be recognized, yeah. not only by the father, because he didn't know if he would run into the father, but also he didn't want to be recognized by strangers. Yeah. And presumably because he's been brainwashed into thinking that everything is dangerous and people are going to get him or something. Right. Which is hilarious in a sad way that, like, he he did the thing that would draw the most attention to him. <laughs> right. Right. And you have to wonder about that. Yeah. Was it ignorance of how the world works? I mean, certainly he possessed ignorance of how the world works. He he would attest to that. He's, he's like, we have no idea how to socialize. We have no idea. And actually, we'll get into this later. The emailer who emails in talks a lot about that. But he picked an archetype of evil, right? <laughs> or did he choose something subconsciously that would draw attention to himself because he was trying to raise alarm bells to what was going on in the house? Yeah, could be. Or did he feel that, and this is actually, this has popped in my head, this speculation I like the most, that the they saw the world through archetypes in movies. And when you have the horror movie stalker in your as an archetype what are what are the t- tell me what are you know you got you got jason you got michael you have freddie Freddy. you have uh, jigsaw you have it you know it what are the what are the qualities of of this archetype they are certainly different they're uh, they're not of this they're world. not of this world they're they're not associating with normal folk that's right. for sure right they're misunderstood. <laughs> misunderstood. What else? Not understood at all. And uh and they're very nonverbal too, like, you know. Right. It's not a lot of conversation. Freddie yeah. talks a lot, but the other ones don't. Yeah, but Fred Freddie's actually kind of an outlier. It's um because Freddie is like outright supernatural. Now you could say, well, of course the other two are. Well, but, so is it. Yeah, but but okay, but when you look at Jason Yeah. It's there's plausible deniability. I don't know. He could be some big dude in a mask right. killing people. It's like, come on. But right. you know. <laughs> what other qualities of these archetypes? Um, of the, what other quality of this archetype is there? Uh, they are. Let's see. Um, I mean, they're they're usually after. Well, at least Jason and Michael. They're they're like after social acceptance. You know. Okay. And um, certainly mentally not there. Okay. <laughs> What else? Um, I'm looking for one particular quality that they all have that is undeniable and central to why they're inserted into a story like that. They're, they're psychopaths. Yeah. They're powerful. Oh, sure. Yeah. They yeah. have supreme power, these yeah. characters. They, they can't 
you can't kill them. You can't hurt them. You can't run from them. That's a great point. Yeah. They don't stop for anyone. They don't, they're not afraid of anyone. Right. So I'm guessing that he. Oh, it makes him feel secure. Right. He's like, I'm kind of a villain in this moment because I'm going against my father. But I also, I don't care because I'm that psychopath and I have supreme power. I've done that. uh, I've done that before. Walking late at night by myself in downtown or something like that. I have pretended, I've told myself, all right, you're the serial killer. And then I'm like, "Mm, I'm the serial killer. Interesting. I'm the one that people need to be afraid of. Interesting. (laughs) And just like the, the naive notion in my head is like, yeah, if I'm the serial killer, like people need to run from me. I don't need to be afraid. So you just embody a persona to deal with the fear. Right. And then I like I, I'll kill a few people just to kind of get into character. Right. But after that I'm I'm just the character. So he ventures off into the world with this Michael mask on, just trying to see the world on his own. He sees the world and according to him, he's like, Well, then they call the cops because they're he says there's this weird guy walking around with a mask yeah. on. He gets put in the hospital, and we'll go, we'll go into that later, and that kind of opens things up a little bit. The other brothers decide to leave, too, soon after that, and they start walking around Manhattan in these similar outfits right? from their movie uh, escapades, Yeah, and they look very strange. I mean, <laughs> any one of them would have looked strange in the way that they were dressed in their long hair, I but mean, also I guess just, you, yeah. but you put six of them or five, I can't remember how many, five or six of them walking yeah. down the street. It's like, what is going on with that crowd? Yeah, people would have assumed there's something going on. Like, they are filming something or well, part of a I, you know, I was a trying field to think, trip or something. I was trying to think, what would I have thought if I saw them? The, the kicker is they all look exactly the same. Yeah. So, because they're, they're brothers and they're so close in yeah. age. And so, uh, at, if they were all different kids from different yeah. families and they were dressed the same i would oh they're yeah they're in some sort of production or they're playing a prank or they're at some sort of theme party but when you see five almost identical looking brothers with long long hair <laughs> that goes to their like the, their thighs in these weird outfits and they're kind of awkward and goofy and I, I would have been like, What? It, it just it's a very striking image. In real life, honestly, I would have ran the other way because if they were wearing the restaurant dogs outfits, I'm like, Oh, mass shooting. I'm yeah, out of here. Yeah, especially <laughs> in, in today's world. Yeah. So in twenty ten, Crystal Moselle, this documentarian, she was in graduate uh, she was a graduate of New York's School of Visual Arts, and she uh, just happened upon them in Manhattan and decided to see if maybe there's a documentary uh, potential from these guys. And at first, well, well, I'll get into more of that later. But then, the, so the documentary crew go into the house. Maybe it was just her, I think. And they talk about how she's the first guest into the home. Yeah. So tell me this, Berto. At this time, when the documentary starts, the dad is still completely in control of the family. Yeah. He has the key. The kids aren't allowed out. The mom isn't allowed well, out. Well, I actually, I couldn't quite, I couldn't quite tell because later I got the sense that they sort of recreated that part of the story because what they, they made a comment at one point like, hey, if you had met us five years ago, we wouldn't have, or not even five years, like if you had met us 
n amount of time before, we wouldn't have even talked to you. Right. So I, I, I almost got the sense that like when she inserts herself, they've already started to break the barriers. I think a little bit. Yeah. A, a little bit. But the dad is still totally in control. Yeah. Everyone still lives at home. The right. mom is probably still being abused by the dad. And the question is, why would the dad let her in? Yeah. Because at that point, he could have said no. He could have easily said no. These were minors. Yeah, absolutely. And so, I, okay, I, I, two things about the dad. Because one, I got the sense that in his head, he had a justification that was not malicious. Like in his head, you know, he's like, I don't know. I'm just protecting them from the world. Like helping them become their own person, right? Like that's his thing. Right. Also, from the kid, one of them, I forget which one. I did get the sense. I know that they were fighting, the, the dad and mom were fighting, but I almost got another sense, like there was some other form of abuse happening. Like maybe there was physical abuse to them. I don't know. Because the way he was like, you know, I there's some things you can't patch up. There's some things you can't. I couldn't quite tell if that was just because he kept them in all those years, which granted is traumatic enough, or if there was more to that story. But in either case, yeah, it's a good question. Why did he feel safe bringing someone in? The, With cameras, nonetheless. Right. The The only speculation I have is that the dad thought in his narcissistic way, which I'll get into later, this documentarian is going to find how wonderful my family is and mm. how unique and how and how smart I am. Because mm. you got to wonder how much footage she took of him that yeah. she just didn't include, you no. know? Right. Because uh, you can imagine he would be a pontificator with a lot of weird things to say. Anyway... So she goes into the home and she begin she begins filming them in in terms of making their movies. It was all the, in the beginning. It was all about yeah. just making movies. But then uh, six months into filming, she learns that they're confined and they can't leave the house. Yeah. It took it took six months of her going to to the house, to, going to the apartment and filming yeah. for them to open up and say. Well, I don't know if you know this, but we actually can't leave the house. Yeah. Like, it's not it's not easy for us, or at least until rather recently. All right. So, Birdo rating. Out of, how many Birdos out of 10 do you give it? Uh, for a comedy special, <laughs> no. Uh, obviously, it's a documentary. So, in the documentary realm, I would give it an 8. So, I don't understand why, why do you put it in, like, a category. Because for me, well, because I'm, just giving, I'm just giving it, like, uh, to me... So I'm giving it a seven, and to me, a seven means definitely watch it, but it's not like mind blowing. Yeah, it's definitely not mind blowing, but I, I have to put it in category because I I can't compare apples to apples. Like I can't be like this eight doesn't compare to a movie eight. Like it's just not. I don't know. They're, well, then I would use your movie eight because I think that's a good metric because. If, if, because an eight on a movie is like, wow, that was a really good but movie. But I watch a hell of a lot more movies than documentaries. So it's kind of like if I were rating music and, and you ask me, hey, how do you rate this country song? If you want me to rate it overall, I'd probably give it a really low rating because I don't do country. But if I were rating it as a but country song. No, no, but that's the point. <laughs> we want to know how you feel about this documentary. In my head, doesn't quite work that way. If I were rating it as an overall piece of video entertainment. Yes. Then yeah, I would probably give it closer to a seven, maybe maybe a six, six or seven. Yeah, but but I've seen documentaries, and and as far as documentaries go, I would give it an eight. I've seen <laughs> way more compelling documentaries than this. I mean, this was definitely a good documentary. Yeah, but there are documentaries that are mind blowing. Yeah, 
uh, compared to this. Anyway, maybe we should do a top 10 documentary. It's coming up in our... That's one of our things, yeah. Oh, that's right. By the way, announcement, everyone. We've talked about this before. We are doing our 13th anniversary show coming up soon on on August 7th, 2021 on YouTube. For 13 hours, we're going to be doing a YouTube Live from 10 a.m. to 11 p.m., Hopefully, we'll be able to stay awake and uh, and cognizant the entire time. Yeah. The other thing I want to announce is that we are going to be opening up gifts and cards. So if you all want to send us a gift or a card, you can send that to 10002 Aurora Avenue North Suite 36, number 214, Seattle, Washington, 98133. That's 10002, that's three zeros, Aurora Avenue North Suite 36, number 214, Seattle, Washington, 98133. Send us your cards, your gifts, whatever you want us to open up on the air. So, yeah, I gave it a 7 out of 10. As a, as a video experience, definitely worth checking out. It's entertaining. It's interesting. moves pretty quick. It's compelling. It's, it's moving. Rotten Tomatoes, Britta, what do you think? Uh, they probably gave it, critics gave it a 93%. Close, 86. Audience. 86. That's lower than I thought. Audience gave it a, a I'd go 82%. 68. Ooh. So closer to what you, you and I rated it. Yeah. So what was your impression after, or as you're watching it, what, what emotions were you feeling? Uh, yeah, it was, if I were to graph it at first, like I said, I was like, ooh, interesting. I mean... They're kind of goofy, but like, look at this. They're like recreating whole scenes from movies. This could be kind of neat. I don't know what the story is. Uh, then as I started piecing together, I was like, uh oh, is this a cult thing? Oh no, this is going to end in disaster. And then as it got to towards the middle, I'm like, oh, it's more like an abuse story. Okay. Okay. And it's like them breaking out of the abuse. All right. And then as it got towards the end, I'm like, okay, it's them. I mean, there is abuse. I can't quite tell the extent of the abuse, but it's them actually blossoming as a family. And uh, like the grand finale is like the creative outlet and where you can kind of maybe surmise that at least that one, maybe all of them end up maybe doing something creative with their experiences. Who knows, right? Um, So I, I feel like it ended up on a good note. But there were parts of it where I was like, oh, my gosh, because I was having a hard time imagining like not leaving because we've just been through it for a year, not leaving your house. Yeah, I thought about that. But it was, you know, we had the ability to leave and also uh, everyone was in the same boat. Right. Right. But imagine if. if and for, we had the Internet and we could communicate right. with people. But imagine for your whole childhood. Yeah. You, you, you're not allowed and then you don't realize you don't even realize that that's not a thing that you're that's normal right. one day you're like oh wait why are there people outside why can't that wait what's going on here yeah that was so hard to process <laughs> yeah the feeling I had was a very eerie odd feeling as I was watching the movie because the kids are actually kind of weird right they're not not a bad way but just off well, right. When, when it started, I got a sense like 
uh, I'm going to use this word and I'll get hate. Like it felt a little bit like a group of incels <laughs> that were doing like their own social thing among themselves. I didn't right. immediately realize they were all brothers, but then quickly I realized it. And then that's, that's when I started feeling, Oh, is this like a cult thing? Then I really felt that sense of foreboding. Like, yeah. Whoa, what's this? But those shots that they would have of the father sitting there watching his two television sets yeah, and looking over his shoulder and, the way that the dad would kiss the mom and yep and even the mom just came across as just odd like everyone in the family just came across odd and i think it added to the the eeriness and maybe it was edited that way the other emotion i felt was i felt very bad for the kids yeah just really really bad for the kids and then subsequent anger at the dad and also just looking at the dad as a pathetic figure just someone who had all these grandiose ideas about what his family was and what his role in the world was and how he was going to... You could just imagine him going, I'm going to show the world, and he's just this sad guy stuck in a room getting drunk every night and not even and no one in his family likes him. Did you get a sense of that? Uh, mostly. I, I was puzzled by a couple things. They apparently had money because you, you're raising like... A lot of kids, number one. Yeah, and I, th- I think it was welfare. Okay. Oh, and, and they got money because the mom was homeschooling. I th- you get, yeah, she you was get, homeschooling. Yeah. I think they made mean, that money go a long way. Yeah, because like, they had costumes. They had equipment for well, the movie. They, they had, had basically <laughs> colored cardboard and tape. Yeah. And outfits. I don't know if they made their own outfits or what the deal is. but Yeah, they made their own. What do you, what do you mean? You, you thought they were given those outfits? No, but like they might have bought at at like at least at Ross Dress for Less or something, you know. What what? Like the clothes that they wore, you know. Yeah, they're regular clothes. I'm just thinking, like outfitting a family of how many nine? It's like yeah, but did you see the condition of that apartment? I mean, they were not living in luxury. There was, but I I get it. But he was doing nothing, right? Like he doesn't work, right? So that's why I was like, is is that how far welfare goes? I guess, <laughs> and then the, the mom gets some money. Well, if you're saying if you know if that's how far welfare goes in terms of like they probably had very basic food, they had no cable. You saw even the televisions they were dealing with looked like the sort of TVs that people would just give away. That like that's like. That's a middle-class Colombian family when I was growing up. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the the things that people give to goodwill yeah and even in 2010 yeah. are pretty nice things i mean i've given things to goodwill yeah. that i'm thinking if i you rewind the clock 25 years and if i had if this show showed up on a shelf at goodwill for 20 bucks i would have picked right. this up like so fast anyway but it's not like they were living in luxury i think it I think, no, 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 I think no, they no, were just luxury. the family was just extremely resourceful. What I'm saying is, is I'm not, I, I definitely never got the sense. Ooh, these people are wealthy. Not at all. It was more that since the dad was always like on the couch drinking, I was puzzled how they even had money for anything. But I guess I'm not familiar with how much welfare gets you or whatever. And I, I was uh, confused and, and by the. She dad. got paid for home. And she got paid. I was confused by the dad because on the one hand. He seemed to have this grand vision of like what he was trying to do for the kids. He was like, well, I I don't want him to be influenced 
buy TV and all these things. Okay, but you did let them be influenced by movies. And I suppose you picked those movies. Like, these are the movies that your reality will be based on. And it was. He chose all those movies. Right? Yeah. And those movies do have a lot of those elements he was trying to shield them from. A- extreme versions of that, in fact. Okay. And, and so that was part of it. And then the next part... I didn't understand the obsession with I like the media is one thing, but they couldn't even go out of the house, not even like to play outside in the park. I didn't get that. Right. Well, let's take a break. When we get back, let's analyze the dad. And I'm actually going to speculate about what was wrong with him. What do you say, Berto? Yeah, let's do it. Hey, Deserving Listeners, as you all know, I am constantly recommending that people go to therapy. We all need therapy from time to time. Well, one of the options available that is definitely worth checking out is BetterHelp. If you're looking for a therapist, I would give it a try by going to betterhelp.com slash Kirk. Make sure you use the promo code Kirk because you get 10% off your first month and it really helps us out. As you watch these videos, I know many of you have been motivated to find your own therapist, which is great because you deserve it. And I know also that it can be hard to find a good fit, find the right one for you. Well, one of the options available in terms of your shopping is to go to betterhelp.com slash Kirk. I've been told you can start communicating with your therapist in under 24 hours. You can message your counselor at any time. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. I've also been told that it's often less expensive than in-person therapy, and you should know that this service is available to clients worldwide. So go to betterhelp.com slash Kirk to get 10% off your first month today. All right, we're back from the breaks. Let's do some OPPs. What do you say, Berto? OPP. We have people in today's episode going back to July 2017. So these, this group of, a pretty large group of people became patrons of the podcast all the way back in July of 2017, and they have stuck with us this entire time. Crazy. Almost four years. We have Kelly, who is a upper tier patron from New Hampshire. Wasn't she from Saved by the Bell? We have Haruka. From Japan. Ooh. We have Linda from Squim, Washington. Oh, is it Linda Evans? Is she one of our patrons? We have Stacy from Yakima, Washington. Stacy's mom has got it going on. We have Allison from Cleveland. We have Allison. The world is telling me. Uh, Jillian from Euphrata, Pennsylvania. Isn't, isn't there Euphrata in Washington? Uh, anyway, we have Audrey from Melbourne, Florida. There's a Melbourne, Melbourne Florida. Australia. Put but this is in Florida. The we have Benedict from God knows where. We have Lucy from Australia. We have Craig from London. Nice. We have Jackie from Michigan or Mi- uh, Novi MI. MI is Mississippi is MS. Michigan is MI. Minnesota is MN. I don't know. Yes, that sounds right. Uh, <laughs> didn't you study that in high school? Not at all. I'm sure you had to memorize them. The abbreviations? Uh, Lissasot or Lizlot? Lizalot? Lizalot. From Stockholm, Sweden. Oh, nice. You've been there. I've before. been to Stockholm. Did, twice. You, did you meet her? I did. Oh, that's the yes. I did. We we have Cat from Taylorsville, Georgia. We got Allie from God knows where. We have Nick from Kalamazoo. Nice. We have Fuchsia from God knows where, and we Whoa. have Kate from 
from Great Britain. I'm going to try to uh, get this Leicester. It's pronounced Lizard. <laughs> well, yeah, I was going to say, but then the province or whatever, the state, I don't know, county is Leicestershire. <laughs> they always add these like, additional yeah. Shire wick work for fire. <laughs> so all y'all, thank you for being patrons Woo! and for so long, especially you, one, two, three. especially you, Kelly, for being a even more deserving listener for all this time. So, Birdo, uh, if... The guys in the Wolfpack documentary were to try to convince everyone to become a patron. What would that sound like? <laughs> That's the toughest one you ever given me. <laughs> oh my gosh! Because I first have to. Okay. Or wait, would it be I don't better? Know, I got it. Okay, okay. <laughs> any any one of your motherfuckers move, and I'll execute every last one of you, unless. You become patrons of the Psychology in Seattle podcast. <laughs> Man, when they were recreating Pulp Fiction, it was spot on. Yes, it was. When they were doing that scene in the... With, with Travolta's voice. Yeah. Wasn't there one that had like a... One of the kids put on like a British accent regularly. Yeah. Yeah, one of them... Well, and then Reservoir Dogs, they did that amazing too. Um, in the, yeah. It was just like incredible. Yeah. Okay, so let's figure out what... Okay. And I love that that so many times in the movie they're like, oh, this reminds me of this scene in this movie. Oh, this reminds like was it? Oh, this forest, these trees remind me of the forest in, in right. Lord of the Rings. <laughs> because that's that's the how reality. they see the world. Yeah. So what's wrong with the dad? He seems paranoid. Is it nar- is it narcissism? Is it trauma from society? Is it personality disorder? He's Peruvian, Berto. That's near where you grew up. What could you imagine someone of his age having possibly gone through in Peru? If you were to generalize, uh, he looked fairly indigenous, meaning not very white, so not very uh, socially probably discriminated against. He lived in the mountains. Uh, Peru is very, very mountainous, and if he lived in the mountains, he was probably uh, kind of part of the outdoorsy mountain culture and therefore based on his age and everything probably very hippie-ish and that seems like how they met in the first place and uh, there's also a lot of especially the the age he's in a lot of kind of revolutionary thinking uh, literally revolutions you know and uh, counterculture and all these things so uh, he was probably a discriminant he probably saw a lot of violence he probably was there a lot of violence in Peru back then? Yeah, all Latin America, pretty much the whole time. <laughs> so I don't know the region he was in. Maybe maybe it was in a calm part of the mountains, but I doubt it. And so he's probably traumatized from that, you know. He also probably saw, you know, there is a different way of life than the hustle and bustle of society. And then he was misguidedly trying to shield his kids from the world. And yeah. But but then I, I was a little puzzled why you would live in Manhattan. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, 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 yeah, exactly. So they originally lived in West Virginia, mm-hmm. and then they went to California. I don't know where they live in California, but West Virginia doesn't have a lot of metropolises. And his vision was to end up in Sweden or in yeah Sweden, in, Sweden or Norway, or yeah, Scandinavia. Oh, you just Scandinavia. said Scandinavia, yeah, because he, he I saw think, it as like an ideal, yeah, yeah. right, yeah. Um, so, yeah, mom met him as a white American woman in Peru and yeah. fell in love. And I'm guessing, 
well, the way she describes it, she says, you know, he had all these ideas. It was really great. You know, he had, yeah. he was an exciting guy. And to me, the way he talked was like Charlie Manson. I mean, not that extreme, but, you know. Well, it was in that direction. I mean, and they didn't give it a lot of airtime. There were only a few clips of him talking. There was one clip where he said, uh, well, this shows my power. Right. And this show, and what do you mean? Uh, well, this show, all this, you know, this is because of my power. Yeah. Like, I, have the power I have the power to make people do anything, he said. Yeah. He said that. Yeah. The kids say that he called himself a god. Yes, that's right. You're right. You're right. So this is a Charlie Manson, but just didn't kill anyone. And with only uh, his family in the commune. Right. Right. Charismatic, gets this woman to hmm. uh, buy into his BS. And Maybe that's part of the problem, though, that he wasn't charismatic enough to go outside of his family. Right. And because he was an aspiring musician as well. Yeah. Just like Charlie Manson. Oh, yeah. And that must have had some frustration to it. So then he's like, well, my family will be my my band. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Or my family will be my audience. Well, but he had them playing too, right? Yeah. yeah. But it it's very much the way he talked when they finally did some interviews with him. I'm like, oh, my God, he's Charlie Manson. He's narcissistic. Yeah. And when people on the Internet talk about narcissists, they are talking about often people that just hurt their feelings. They're not actually talking about people with legitimate narcissistic yeah. personality disorder. People with legitimate narcissistic personality disorder, like Charlie Manson uh, or or this guy, which I can't diagnose him, I don't know. Yeah. But he shows some of the signs. People with actual narcissistic personality disorder have such dysfunctional lives so quickly that they won't have a chance to bother you unless you're somehow attached to them already. People with narcissists, I mean, it's not always the case, but people have this notion of like narcissists are like moving up the ranks of CEOs and they're just weighing lace to everyone behind them and they don't understand that. Weighing lace? I love it. Did, did I do that? <laughs> yeah. They're weighing lace. I weigh lace all the time. Yeah, I do that all the time, my friend. It's a, <laughs> what is it's, that? That's got a, a name, right? I'm sure it does. I thought we talked about this before. No, I don't. I've okay. never known the word for that. But I, it's a miracle that I managed to get this podcast published <laughs> three, three to five times a week. Um, but anyway, so he's, yeah, he's weighing lace. Uh, and uh, th- th- where people think that people with narcissism are laying waste to people behind them, when in fact they're so dysfunctional because they have a disorder. If someone is just stuck on themselves and they manage to use that to their advantage and they don't destroy their lives in the process, that's not really a disorder. They're just a little self-centered. People with narcissistic personality disorder are a walking train wreck, the same way with uh, antisocial and with psycho- psych- psychopathy. These people, 99.9% of the time, are walking train wrecks, particularly by the time they get to his age. They, they've just had so much self-destruction because of their disorder. Isn't it a gradient, though? Yeah. Right? Like, there could be someone that is not quite a walking disaster constantly, but but head in in, in that direction. Totally. Yeah. But the people on the internet... <laughs> yeah, sure. They'll be like, that is the most narcissistic right. person I've ever met. Right. And I'm like... No, it's not. <laughs> or right. at the very least, you haven't met full-blown people sure. with narcissism before. Yeah. Because, like, for example, Kevin Spacey is an ultimate narcissist. 
Yeah. Well, I don't know about his personality. Well, clearly he's not because he's right. had a successful career. And then, yeah. yes, he's been this, that, and the other thing to people. But like the point that you're making is the people, it's, it's similar to psychopathy, right? Like yeah. a lot of the people that would say, oh, that CEO is a psychopath. Right. It's like, why? Well, do you see how he yelled at that guy in the meeting? Yeah. Or he just uh, exploits his workers. And, right, right, right. And, and, and I'm like, well, one. Yeah, it's like he got a degree from Harvard. Yeah. He runs a, you know, 200 people, person people, people like him. And you know what like, I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, I will also say that some people with pretty high on the narcissistic spectrum will get people to like them, but people close to them will not like them is the thing. Anyway. Yeah. So, but if you want kind of a a good example of one type of narcissism, it's Charlie Manson and what might be the guy in this, yeah. in this documentary. So let's look at the elements of it. He thinks of himself as a God and he, <laughs> and he says that. Stop there. <laughs> he's, he's charismatic. He has a lot of ideas that he thinks are very special. People with narcissism have their, because they come from a place of I'm superior and I'm better and I know things and other people don't, they will gravitate toward conspiracy theories and uh, viewpoints, ideologies that help to support that. So one example is mm. political narcissism is I know, you know, he, he kept his family insular because he believed the government was using everyone for their will and he wasn't going to have that. So that's why he didn't work. Yeah. So he, he didn't want them to have power over him even though they were giving them all the money to live, right, with welfare and with homeschooling. But he wasn't going to let them have any power over him, so he wasn't going to be their chump by working at a regular job. Yeah. Uh, You might find another person with narcissism might believe that the earth is flat, and when you believe that and you absorb all the data to support that, you consider yourself narcissistic because you're you're superior to everyone because you figured it out. Or a, kind of a classic example is an older white guy who believes he figured out that general relativity is wrong. Right. You know, those well, I mean, guys? if you look into the data, both that and the flat earth are real. Yeah. <laughs> or people that believe that gravity doesn't really exist or something. Right. You, know, you just haven't done the research. That's why. Yeah. You got to read it, dude. It, <laughs> you got to read a book. Yeah. You got to feed dark matter, man. It, it's real. I mean, if, if you if you live walking around with your eyes closed, ears closed, then sure. Right. So they they start from a place of, I know things other people don't, and then they find an ideology that fits with that. Right. right. So he seemed to have some of that. He was also extremely, he didn't seem well. Right, he seemed quite disturbed, yeah. quite quite afraid. Probably drank to self medicate. Probably evidence of a lot of relational traumas he had as an early child, which can result in narcissism. Uh, stayed in his room, didn't really like to interact with people. Narcissistic people tend to tend to avoid relationships because they are afraid of vulnerability. Um. He thought he was better than everyone. That's so. This is all according to the kids. Yeah, our dad thinks he's better than everyone. He thinks he's a god. He thinks he knows everything. Uh, he named the children after the oldest language. Yeah, like Sumerian or something. Yeah, or it was uh, Sanskrit. <laughs> yeah, and again, there's something extremely strange or 
uh, indicative about that, but when you put it into the, sure. into the context, it's such. It's such my a, kids won't have any normal names, right? They'll have the oldest names in the book, and <laughs> and my kids are going to be so special, right? That they're like the original humans or something. Uh, dad would make him stay in their rooms. He would get drunk often. He would beat the mom probably when she wasn't allowing his narcissistic supply. Who knows to to happen? Uh, the dad wouldn't let her talk to her family. Yeah, that is crazy. Like the part in the move in the documentary where she's like getting so excited. I'm like, why is she so excited? I get to see my mom. No, I got to talk to my mom. Oh yeah, I get to talk to my mom on the phone. This is crazy. <laughs> For the first time in like 30 years. Yeah. And uh, so, again, when you're trying to... But then didn't she say she was coming? She was going to board a plane? Yeah, they eventually did go. I yeah. think that's where they went at the very end. I'm not I'm not quite sure. But they, the I, I read news articles that said that they did eventually yeah. go out there. Um, the dad, yeah, he has these sayings where he says, my power is influencing everybody. Yeah. My power is influencing everybody. That's such a narcissistic thing to say. Uh, see, he learned who they are without if oh, he wanted to have his kids learn who they were without influence from the outside world. But of course, that leaves influence for him. Yeah. He doesn't want anyone to interfere with his influence on his kids yeah. or his wife. So he curated the outside world he wanted them to. Right. And he says that... I will say he picked some good movies. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Uh, well, or I actually, I was looking at the movies that were on the shelf, and there were a lot of duds. I think the, oh, really? the boys just really like certain okay. movies. Yeah. Um, so uh, I'm going to review the main general criteria for narcissistic personality disorder. There is a very noticeable problem with their personality. People with narcissistic personality disorder will have noticeable problems with relationships or the way they think, and this guy seemed to exhibit that. Uh, people with narcissistic personality disorder will bother you if you get close to them. He, he bothers everyone that's close to him. What do you mean by bother? Like, it, you will feel imposed upon? You won't like them very much, or you'll feel scared of them, okay. or you'll feel like they're a lot. Okay. They won't. It's for people high in the narcissistic spectrum. It's not really possible to have a comfortable hangout session mm. with because they're too focused on supplying their narcissism and they're too envious and they're too in competition <laughs> with other people. So I was at uh, I was at someone's house. This is a few months ago, and a friend of theirs showed up. Now, I'm not going to call them narcissists because, as you said, like there's got to be provable dysfunctions. But they showed up, and I've never met this person. And so we meet each other. Oh, hi, how you doing? The entire conversation, which lasted like 10 minutes, was this person explaining to me how amazing her son is. <laughs> and name drop, name, name slash accomplishment dropping and I was like, wow, at first I'm like, wow, that's incredible. But halfway through it, I'm like, okay, I'm not actually going to let you have this for free. So then she would say something like, and then, you know, 
he, uh, I, as an example, like he aced his IQ test or something. And I'd say like, well, there's not, you can't really ace those. So you know, like I would like start little poking little holes and, and she got so flustered. Yeah. She got so flustered, but eventually she had to go. And I was like, I just got hit by a tornado. Like they came in, they didn't want to know anything about me. Yeah. And they blasted me with how amazing something about them or theirs is. Yeah. <laughs> and when challenged lightly on it, it was a it was scary to them. <laughs> right. Another person would realize what track they're on and be like, "Oh, yeah, you're probably right." Anyway, enough about my son. Yeah. yeah. What about you? <laughs> like it, it, other people with oh or gosh. that were mildly on the spectrum would be able to notice that. But for those who are narcissistic. Uh, personality disordered on the high end they are so scrambling they're in a constant scrambling of upholding this fantasy that they're superior to mask the fact that they feel the most inferior uh, of anyone on the planet that they don't have time to even notice that you have feelings right. or that <laughs> you might want to say something or that your eyes are right. glazing over or that they're talking too much oh that reminds me. So one of the things I said, because they said, she, she said, I think it was either about the IQ or about the SAT or whatever, some mark of super high intelligence. And I said, oh, wow. Uh, by the way, does does he by any chance struggle socially? Because I've heard <laughs> that people that are very, very smart sometimes. Oh, no, no, no. He's got like amazing friends. Like, you know, just <laughs> the opposite. Like his life couldn't be better (laughs) (laughs) Um, they need to be the center of attention they need to brag he certainly bragged in the little bit that we saw preoccupied with greatness he certainly seemed to be that way believes that they are superior to others he literally said I'm better than other people they need to be admired and it needs to be active admiration it can't just be like this notion like you and me probably have a vague notion that uh, we admire each other. Yeah. Or that other people admire us right. or something. I want to be a dog. Yeah. I was just, I, did, I just watched a whole documentary about that album. Really? Stone Roses. <laughs> I want to see that. Was it, it on YouTube? It's on YouTube, yeah. Okay. It's, it's really amazing. If you, if you don't know, there's a 1990 album, Stone Roses, and it was totally uh seminal as a uh, as a record because it set the tone for the 90s in so yeah. many different ways for blur and oasis and the the manchester sound yep. and and so just so much and um and anyway it, I, and i listened to that album non-stop in 1990. I just remember <laughs> just listening to it over and over again. And I, I don't, and I had no idea what they looked like because I, okay. I didn't have cable or I didn't, yeah, yeah. there was no, I was just you like. you weren't allowed out of your house. <laughs> yeah, because the album cover, it just has this art. Yeah, it's the know? little. Yeah. So Shun, our friend Shun, was obsessed with the Stone Roses. And when we start, when I started college, he had the CD and he's like, oh, you got to listen to it. And I actually really liked them, but because he was so obsessive about it, at first I was like slightly put off, but then the more I listened to it, the more I'm like, no, actually, this is pretty great. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it was kind of that way for me too. I, I remember a couple of my friends having it and listening to it 
because it wasn't played on the radio much. I no. mean, that one song was kind of in Fool's Gold, but but not a lot. And uh, but the more I listened to it, I was just like, it was the same way with Gish, the first Smashing mm. Pumpkins album. I I I'd liked one of their songs kind of. And the more and more I listened to it, it, and then it just hit me all of a sudden. Yeah, I was yeah. like, this is the best album ever. Anyway, so, yeah, he wants to be adored. But it has to, so you and I know that other people might admire us. Like but, who, can you tell me? But, <laughs> but we don't need constant reminders of that. Uh, not every minute. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas people with full-on narcissistic personality disorder, they need it every minute. Right. It needs to be all the time. So even if you shower them with admiration and accolades... The next day, they need it all over again. And criticism hits like a tornado on their heads. (laughs) Right, exactly. So feelings of entitlement, it's hard to know. It seems like maybe he could have had some elements with that. Little empathy, meaning, you know, uh, impaired empathy certainly seemed to have have that. Preoccupation with envy, um, hard to know. Arrogant, certainly makes other people feel like crap. People mm. with narcissistic personality disorder will almost always make other people feel like crap. And he certainly did that to his family. And they can be abusive and controlling. And, and again, that's the part where, again, the kid might just have been reacting to like, look, we were confined for all my life and he treated my mom like crap. So that's unforgivable. And actually, that does sound like enough. It's just that the way... He, it seemed like there was something not being said. So I kind of wondered, was he, was it even worse than they showed us, you know? Yeah. Who knows knows? the extent? I mean, it was bad enough as it was that they, at least one of the boys said, my whole childhood is about being afraid. I can't remember exactly what he said, but he's like, my first memories are being afraid of my dad. Yeah. And that tells you something. Oh man! So in that scene, uh, that was that was touching because um, my first memories in life, when I'm like two years old, are of yelling and slammed doors. You know, right? And so when I, when he said that, I was like, "And you don't understand." Like he said, "And you don't understand. You don't understand what's happening. You just know there's something bad happening." Right. And that's how I felt. I didn't know what was happening. I just had that feeling of. What's happening? You know, yelling and slam doors. Well, I also wondered if you could relate to like a 5% version of this dad, because your dad Mm -hmm. was kind of an insular ranter and raver. That is fascinating. I didn't even, I didn't even think of that. I I didn't consciously put that together, but that must've been running in my subconscious. Because, so obviously my dad didn't lock me up or something. However... He did want mental control to a certain extent. You know, he he would always lecture about what he thought to whoever would listen, and I was always there listening. <laughs> and, you know, he did have this... For example, when he no longer had money, he was going to pull me out of school, and he was going to have me learn through the radio. And he was... What do you sell. mean, learn through the radio? They had school through the radio. Like, oh. they, they would do, you know, broadcast things. Was that a thing in Columbia? <sighs> it like, was a thing, yeah. Like, kids would be pulled out of school? No, no, no. I mean, people, kids either didn't have access to education. 
in, in either case, the government provided some amount of schooling via the radio. Some kids didn't have access to school? Yeah. Because of the neighborhood? or Yeah. Because the, the public schools were really, really bad. Um, dangerous, often closed for trouble because it was like dilapidating or... So if you're, the, when your dad couldn't afford to put you in private school... Yeah. Then he was like, oh, well, you're, we'll just, you'll just do... Learn over the radio. Wow. And he was trying to sell that to me. I was... Um, I think I just finished fourth grade or I was about to finish fourth grade. He's like, yeah, you'll just, you know... Uh, and I, you know, I don't know. I'm nine years old or whatever. Were you going to miss your friends? Yeah, but you're nine years old. So I don't know. I'm listening to my dad and I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, okay. So in my mind, I didn't like the idea, but it was like, okay, I guess I'm going to learn through the radio. And then, you know, my, my mom ended up sending money because she found out. She's like, no way. So. Yeah, well, what about the ranting and raving? Cause yeah, constantly ranting. So the nightly situation is the news would be on. And and he's and not working. He's not working. And he's going off on the reporter, on the... Oh, and super, like, sex, sexist comments and stuff. And just going off on the government and on society and on everything. And, you know, he was, like, 60% right... Uh, in some ways, but it just it was all negative energy, just yelling at the TV. Was you know? him not working partially a narcissism thing? Oh, definitely. So he, um, first of all, there was whatever dysfunction, addiction, blah, blah, blah. But then, for example, he could have had other jobs, but in his head, he was a doctor. He was a psychiatrist. He was Why a child go- psychiatrist from Columbia University. Why didn't he go back to work as a psychiatrist? Well, so the hospitals he was working at let him go because he was... Stealing. No, he was... Well, he might have been, actually. I didn't, that didn't even occur to me. But he, the story was, which I, I actually believe, is he was always causing political problems because he, he considered himself an activist and, and a non-negotiating activist. So when he saw something not being done right, he would, you know, raise holy hell. Now, that's, I think he, that's how it started. Eventually, I think he just got dysfunctional and they probably didn't want to have him. I, I don't know. You know, I don't know the whole story. Right. Eventually, he started uh, treating people independently, privately. But he would do this thing where he would treat them pro bono because they didn't have money to pay him. Meanwhile, he was borrowing money from everyone. And selling your toys. And selling toys. But, uh, so all that's happening and whatnot. But at the same time, he's railing at the, at the society and at the government and, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm surprised that when you watched this documentary, it didn't tickle that a little that, bit. Only that part where he was saying how scared he was hearing all that fighting, that did. But then the rest, for whatever reason, I didn't put two and two together, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess now you like your dad. Yeah, and, I mean, and don't get me wrong. The, I never didn't. That's yeah. the thing. And so I, I, that's the part I can't relate to. It, it's... um. I feel more sadness for him than anything. Do I wish that I had had a more quote normal situation? And all? of course I do. It's just, um, you know. And, and then he did give me a lot of good with the bad. He taught me a lot of good lessons, and he was very much there for me. And he listened, and he taught me, and he went out and he listened to my interests, and he yeah. fostered my interests. So he wasn't as nearly. That's why I say it's like a five percent version. Exactly. 
But you're right. There were these aspects of narcissism and of, you know. So when the middle boy left the house. Oh, sorry. Quick. So maybe that's part of it. Maybe my dad is very narcissistic. <laughs> We've never talked like about that. on that spectrum, you yeah, know? Yeah. I, I think as he's aged, reality has hit him in the face enough and he wasn't chronic enough on his narcissism where he sort of like had to admit that certain things he believed were not real. But for a lot of that part of his adult life, he lived in a delusion. Yeah. Of I'm, I know what's right and everyone he was else is stupid. Doctor Umberto. He, people, com he commanded respect. People looked up to him, you know? Yeah. He's like the, the brother who left, got his degree, came back as a doctor. You know? And he knows things. Yeah. And caused a lot of hell at his hospital because yeah. he knew better than everyone else did. Right. Yeah. So when the middle boy left the house, and in the systemic theories, a lot of you listeners will hear me talk about that. The system will elect someone sometimes to uh, set the balance of the, of the system. So the system is getting way too out of balance, particularly as the boys age into teenage life. Right. Something's got to give. So one kid is elected to leave the house. And he subconsciously or consciously wears this very weird mask to draw attention. The very first time he ventures out by himself, he wears the weirdest mask he could probably find. <laughs> I mean, if he had a Batman costume on it, it, it probably would be not as bad. Yeah, but a, a Michael costume. Yeah. And that's a really good point. If they had seen a Batman, who's going to call the cops on Batman? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, he's with the cops. So. He he leaves the house, and th the cops are called. They take him to the hospital because they're thinking something's up with this guy. They hook him up with a therapist. And it was really interesting because he's like, they're not going to get crap out of me. Yeah. And it's thought, oh, kids, yeah. like, th the therapist is there to help you. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. but So he has a lot of that. Even though he's stepping outside of the cult in a certain way, he still has a lot of the elements of that cult. That's right. You could almost all, you could also hear it in the way they were talking about, no one's going to put my mom to work. You know, right. That yeah, that's right. He's like, I'm not going to go to school. Yeah. I don't know if it's the same one. I, I, I think that was the older one. Right. Yeah. But they all had that. I'm not going to go to school because a, you know, it was, it, there was kind of like a, a two parter. One is, he still had been indoctrinated to not want to be indoctrinated. Right. And B, my mom, I can't do that to my mom. I can't do that to my mom, yeah. Yeah, it was, it, I think we got a glimpse of them in an in-between period. Right. And I've actually done episodes with John Atak around deprogramming people from cults like Scientology. And mm. it takes a long time. Of course. You have to move with people very slowly and you have to just note like okay well that's going to have to change but we're going to have to wait on that one that, hmm. you know they're they're not out of the woods yet they they don't want to be in the cult anymore but their head is still halfway in the cult but cps is called by the way you know child protective yeah. services in new york city is called they come to the home and they determine that there's nothing wrong <laughs> yeah why do you think they did that Berto? cuz a lot of people watching that would say why would CPS not see something wrong here? So why did CPS not see anything wrong? I don't know. I have a couple of thoughts. One is uh, they see a lot of cases. And I suppose if comparatively you're talking about uh, levels of neglect, abuse, things like that, all the kids look 
generally healthy. They, you know, they were seemed to be provided for, even if it was via welfare or whatever. Uh, they were being educated, so they weren't truant. There was no truancy. Uh, and then I'm sure the dad put on his best show and the mom, you know. So that's that's one thought. And then the other thought I have is that they're limited in what they can actually do in those cases because, like, they got to prove in front of a judge maybe what what's the the situation. But potentially, yeah, yeah, all those things are true. The idea is this: that you need to prove that there's abuse legally speaking. Yeah. Now, of course, uh, socially speaking or therapeutically speaking. We would look at the family and say, abuse absolutely did happen. Right. Emotional abuse, the kids were exposed to violence, they were terrorized, they were neglected in terms of being able to socialize outside the outside of the apartment. But there's no law for but, that. Right, but there's no law for that. Yeah. There's no law against parents doing this sort of thing. Yeah. You can have occasional blow-ups as a father, you can uh, intimidate your kids kind of... And you can lock them in your house. There's no law against locking your children in your house. I wonder if there is, there's got to be something around uh, malnutrition, right? right? Like if kids right. are malnutrition. So the kids were not malnourished. Uh, but I wonder if they would have done a vitamin D check. <laughs> <laughs> and they were allowed to go to the doctor and the dentist. Yeah, true. So uh, they were right on the line. They were getting education. Yeah. They were allowed to get medical assistance and they were getting food yeah. and they had a roof. <laughs> but I would argue there's something wrong with that, that there should be some asterisk on the law that says, well, although it's not against the law to homeschool, it's not against the law to be very overprotective of your kids. It's, it's, let's put a line somewhere <laughs> where it, you can't, you can't go beyond, you can't go that far. Yeah, right. And but it also shouldn't be like I wish there was like a, a level of education that could be given to the parents, um, because well, I don't <sighs> think the dad would have changed. Well, no, but uh, you know, how do I say this? Um, upon the fear of incarceration, if change is not you know demonstrated, yeah. Right? Well, that CPS has that available, yeah. but they can only not follow, in these cases. Well, they can only follow the law. Yeah, CPS yeah. is an arm of the government; they yeah. have to follow the law. And if there's no law against something, that yeah. they, they can't do anything. So, anonymous upper tier patron wrote in and said, "On your last YouTube stream, I recommended that you watch the documentary The Wolf Pack because I grew up in a similar situation. I grew up homeschooled with overbearing and cold parents. My mom was very anxious about everything." She taught everyone and everything was a danger to us. So this is sounding similar to this family, right? We didn't get to watch TV, movies, and I had no idea about anything going on in the rest of the world until I was in my late teens. They had moved from city to the country and started to prepare for the apocalypse. Mm. There was a lot of drinking, a lot of arguing. My mom yelled at me all the time, yelled at everyone, and there was some physical abuse from my father. I tried to kill myself several times as a kid. Oh, man. I was hospitalized a few times. I ran away with an older guy when I turned 17 who got me addicted to drugs. I was homeless for over a year, but somehow it felt much better than feeling trapped every day in my, <laughs> with my parents. Anyway, thanks to your podcast, I realized I needed to find a therapist who focuses on trauma, and I found a good one, and things are going better. Yay. 
However, there are many social skills that I feel like I missed learning in my childhood, and I'm not sure if I will ever fully recover. I've taken social skills classes and public speaking classes and read many books and practiced social interactions, but I can still be very awkward with people. Hmm. Sometimes basic questions like, are you having fun, are still hard to answer, and I have to go and memorize answers to them and say those memorized answers. I feel like a lack of identity because I've spent so much effort mimicking other people, and I don't like, I, and I don't like that I know who I am. I also have not been able to have normal relationships. I end or sabotage them as soon as someone starts to get attached to me. I'm now clean and sober and successful with my career and have a stable, happy life. However, however, I harbor a lot of anger and I will never be able to be normal because of my child. Oh, I harbor a lot of anger that I will never able that I will never be able to be normal because of my childhood. I re-engage with my parents, but there is no emotional connection between us at all, and I feel like I cannot tell them how I feel because they are somewhat delusional. Your podcast has helped me so much, so I would really love to hear your review on this topic on the documentary of The Wolf Pack. So, thoughts on that, Berto? Wow. First of all, I'm so happy that this person has found some therapy and that it seems to be helping. Uh, it's definitely heartbreaking to hear, you know, the the story. And and that's something where it has a lifetime effect, of course. Uh, One thing I could relate to in that was, to some extent, (laughs) social awkwardness. You know, my, it's funny, I, I grew up in this house as an only child with grandparents, my grandma's sister, and my dad. And that's why you're so awkward. And that's what, uh, exactly. Uh, Well, seriously, because my dad was an awkward individual, even though he was this doctor and smart and all these things. But he's not awkward in that way. Nah, he he was though. Like, but I've I've socialized with him. He's he's a personable guy. Yes, but he's also older and and you had a lot of friends outside of. Don't get me wrong. Look, he was he was among his circle. Like he was known as a fun guy and you know all these things but i remember what it was like when someone new would enter the picture and my dad would immediately bombard them with all his thoughts about like i was embarrassed to have my friends over now granted my friends will tell me that they loved my dad so maybe i was just projecting or being whatever but i was always embarrassed because it's like oh gosh you know he's gonna start spouting all his beliefs about everything and this is gonna be embarrassing you know that in either case i grew up and there is a certain category of encounter that has always been awkward for me. And it's um, it's like, for example, someone comes over to the house to look at, hey, let's say my, my lock in my door broke or something. They come over to look at that. I have to put on this front. I have to be like, hey, how's it going? Yeah, my lock broke. You know, I have to act like extra manly <laughs> because I'm afraid that they will point at me and say you're a fraud you're a fraud you don't know about fixing things because my dad didn't fix anything and i never learned how to fix things right so i'm always afraid of someone's gonna be like you're not a real man you should know how to fix your locks or at least you should know how to tell me about how locks work or if not let's have a conversation about how the car engines work you know and that has always been super awkward for me and it's a result of me like growing up around a, a certain kind of uh, model that you know, but I'm surprised because you don't have any pride in that sort of thing. I don't. So why do you care? I don't know. 
Like, I'm not a good cook, and if someone called me out on It's how- not conscious. It's not like I'm... It's just I've always felt this insecurity. Like, you have to be. Uh, and more like I'm not going to, but uh, I need to pretend like I kind of care. Uh, another one, I, I stopped doing this one because it got me in trouble. Sports. I, you know, when I was younger, I would show up at someone's house. It's like, hey, how's it going? Nice to meet you. Oh, what you think of the game on Saturday? Oh, it was, uh, it was crazy. Oh, yeah. Like, and then they'd ask me yeah, a question I, and I'd be like, so, uh, I so I have know. a, I have a small version of that in that. I grew up watching all sports. I watched baseball. Yeah. I didn't watch hockey, but I, I watched football. I watched uh, soccer. I watched, um, what did I say, basketball, yeah. baseball, and even golf. And so there was a time, uh, particularly in the 90s, when I knew everything about everything. With sports. <laughs> yeah, I, I knew all the things. I watched right. all the games. Uh, so someone said, what would you think of the game? You knew what they were talking yeah, about. Yeah, it was just it was this thing. And then when I became a therapist, I no longer had time for that. And right. I remember making a conscious choice that I I just could not watch any sports anymore. Because right. if I did, something else was going to have to go. And it was probably going to have to be like socializing or something. And I didn't want to give up socializing. So I made, this, I made this really tough choice around, I don't know, the age of 30 that I just couldn't watch any more sports. And I just stopped. Just total cold right. turkey. <laughs> and so when people talk about sports to this day, you know, I know a lot about football. Right. Because I do watch a lot of football. But I don't watch the Mariners. I don't watch basketball. And people will bring stuff up. And there's a part of me that's like, oh, I'm a... I'm a sports nut. Yeah, I'm a sports nut. So I... <laughs> it, but if I don't quickly remind myself dude you have no <laughs> idea you have no idea what's yeah. happening um but anyway getting back to anonymous up to your patreon i'm really sorry you went through that it sounds really awful it sounds actually worse than what the uh, wolf pack kids went through because it doesn't sound like you had allies in your family the wolf pack crew had their mom and, and they had each, each other. other yeah so for you anonymous up to your patron it sounds to me like you had nobody. Both your parents were against you. I didn't hear any story in there about a sibling that was there for you or a grandparent or something. So you were alone and being abused and being cut off from the outside world and not allowed to have friends and, you know, pumped full of all this worry. And, you know, because that's another thing about these insular families is they're often insular because of fear. And when you raise kids in that environment, they're essentially like refugee children without actually being a refugee. They're like traumatized by this delusion that the parents have of imminent danger constantly happening. And he even talked about how his family moved out to the wilderness because they were waiting for the world to end. Yeah. So it would obviously cause a lot of uh, issues for you. And I'm glad you're going to therapy and you know, you're, what I will say is that it takes time. It's going to take a lot of time to recover from all the abuse, not only just living in your family, but also being insular. And you're going to have to have a lot of earned security. You're going to have to, you know, with your therapist and other people so that you can have a connection with yourself and learn how to trust yourself and like yourself and like other people. But the key here up to your anonymous patron is to do not, do not blame yourself. I, I hear it, and it's usually what suicide is motivated by, but it, it almost sounds like you're blaming yourself for your relationship problems and your social skill issues. 
It is not your fault at all. <laughs> Let me give you an example. I, Kirk, am bad at golf because I don't play very often. So if I go golfing at any point uh, in the f- near future, I will probably shoot a 140, which is very bad on 18 holes. <laughs> uh, I'm lucky I'll get 140. And should I beat myself up if I shoot a 140 on 18 holes? No. Why? Because I don't play very often and I can't be good at something that I haven't done very much. Well, you, Anonymous Epitier patron, you are bad at socializing and you're bad at uh, establishing long-term attachments with with friends or with partners. Uh, you identify that. Now, I don't know if that's even true because I'll just, I'll just take your word for it. But that's not your fault. It's okay. Now, same for me in my analogy of golf. If I want to get better at golf, I just need to golf a lot more. Well, and actually, because in your case, you could. But, uh, you know, like when I've talked about my, my inability to control spending habits, right? I had to come to terms with the fact that I, I grew up with some crazy distorted role models around me when it came to money. So I had internalized bizarre ideas like if you if you have money you need to spend it and you you will never money will you'll never be safe and you'll always have to acquire money and spend it all right and and these things were internalized so, so much so that i couldn't even stop when i wanted to you know it took therapy and it took so but i had to stop blaming myself because I, I i used to when I when I would spend a lot and then a couple of days would go by i'm like oh i'm so stupid i'm so how could i do that right you know, and then right, and that's the insidious nature of abuse is that you are not only abused, but you internalize the abuser and continue to abuse yourself as you're trying to recover from the abuse. Yeah. You notice, oh, I was abused. That's why I had these issues. But I'm a crappy person for the fact that I haven't overcome it yet. Yeah, no, that's a half measure. You are aware of the abuse, which is great, but the full measure is. And I have a tendency to abuse myself in my own abuse myself yeah. in my own mind, and abuse is the gift that keeps on giving in that way. Yeah. And there's very little we can do about it. You just have to fight it, categorize it, compartmentalize it. Don't go with it. You'll have the intrusive thoughts, but don't believe the hype. So please, anonymous your patron, let, let us know how you're doing. And I'm glad that you you're a success. You're in therapy. You're doing well. And you're a survivor. You're better than most people because you survived. You're smarter. You're more able. You are, uh, you're, you're strong. You're stronger than most people. If I was in a situation like that, even for like a week, I don't know what I'd do. So yeah. you, you can absolutely call yourself a, survival, a survivor. You essentially came back from war. And yeah, you have a little bit of baggage. <laughs> yeah, some PTSD. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got some issues because you've seen some crap. Um, in conclusion, I'll say that the, the, I read a lot of articles following up on mm. this family in the intervening years, because there's been 11 years, that slowly over time, one by one, they started moving out. The mom started asserting herself. And then the dad eventually just moved out and is basically estranged from the whole oh, family. Oh, wow. But it took many years for that to happen. Yeah. And the kids started getting jobs. They, the mom obviously could visit with her family. 
And so, yeah, so things are looking at, but in interviews, the kids are like, I'm still working on stuff. Yeah. (laughs) You know, they, they still have, they still talk about how it, they're still, um, healing from, from the process. By the way, that film, uh, at the end, uh, it was quite conceptual and interesting. Yeah. And the stark contrast as that young girl comes into Mm -hmm. the, to the frame was so like i don't know artistic yeah that they chose the perfect actress so the, you know at the very end one of the kids decides to make his own little art movie yeah and he auditions this girl to play a teenage uh, heartthrob who's girl. very cute and quite sexy yeah yeah <laughs> yeah he's like yeah she's quite sexy <clears throat> And the way that they uh, created the scene with her in it, I found to just be chilling. Yeah, in so many Very ways. So. Um, but well, anyway, and then the, the the transition of the emotions because he describes what it is, and then you're like, yeah, the scene with one of the brothers with that makeup with the yeah. war paint and the blood, yeah, and those screams, yeah, that was like real stuff coming out. It was like scream therapy, yeah. I, I got chills. I was like, wow, that's powerful. Yeah. And actually, the, I, I read an AMA. We don't have time for it. But they talked about some of their favorite filmmakers. And, of course, they talked about David Lynch, mm-hmm. Quentin Tarantino, Spike Jones. But they also talked about uh, Harmony Corrine. Oh, yeah, yeah. Who made Kids, Kids and Spring yeah. Breakers. So that's kind of more conceptual. Yeah. And they also talked about Agnes Varda and Alma Harrell, who are both artsy creators and okay. make like I think Alma Harrell made a, a video for a Cigarose oh, with really? um, what's the kid from uh, from Holes and from uh, Shia LaBeouf oh was he in Holes was he in Holes? I mean, maybe. I, didn't, I never saw Holes, so... And neither yeah. did I. But anyway, I don't know why I thought that. But anyway, so Shia LaBeouf... He's in one of the best Indiana Jones movies Right, of I was going to say the Indiana Jones... But Shia LaBeouf was... You know, when he went through a whole artsy period, yeah, and he right. was in this in this Sigarose um, video, and she directed it. And so anyway, I just think that they're they're kind of getting into some, some artsy stuff, which is, which is interesting, yeah. Because I, I imagine that they have a lot of, well, one of the one of the ways of thinking about it for me is that when you learn music and you start from the basics, mm-hmm. from like Mary Had a Little Lamb, and then you graduate up to pop songs, and then you graduate up to psychedelic Beatles songs, and you graduate right. up to this, eventually you you get to jazz. Yeah. Because jazz is a riff on all the other forms of music. Right. Or on super alternative hip-hop, yeah, for yeah. example. Or progressive rock. Like, yeah. if you listen to enough music, you eventually get bored of the simple top 40 stuff. And you need to hear things that are riffing on the basics. And that's what the more complex, you know, like, like um, what's his face? Philip Glass. Uh, yeah, or... Uh, <laughs> 
Frank Zappa. Frank Zappa, thank you. Exactly. Or you could be like me, who is stunted in his music development and stopped well, at the pop 80s. No, because you actually <laughs> refuse to write music that repeats itself. That's true. <laughs> you will write a verse, chorus, verse, chorus, uh, bridge, verse, chorus, and no two chords are, are repeated the entire time, and it drives all of your bandmates co- crazy. Uh, so... Uh, because you're bored, you know. <laughs> if you wrote a song 30 years ago, it would have had a pattern to it. But now you're like you're CGC. <laughs> you can't do it anymore. Uh, and I'm a I'm similar. Like I can't write a song in four four. And I, I can't write a song that's four measures of four four. That's fine. I always have to shave off two beats here or add two beats. Like I can't stand it when things are so mathematical. Like that. anyway. So with these guys, they've been studying and studying and studying film. That when they make film, they want it. They got a riff on the right, right. on the form, and it's got to be artsy. Yeah. But anyway, so it seems to be a happy story in the end. And everyone out there, please take care of yourself because you deserve it.